Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. finish and wrap this up and um, a lot of it stuff will be repetitive because I'm going to do a summary in the sense of bringing it all in together and um, if you haven't heard any of our last two sermons I encourage you to go back to our app or to the podcast and look up Nest Church and listen to it or you could go on YouTube and also type in Nest Church and look at childlike search we have two parts part one and part two that we've already have been discussing together and today I want to hopefully wrap it up to part three um, so in part three, so hopefully um, we'll, we'll get into that and, and finish it up. But, but God has really been speaking to us in a very special way. And he's been really um, stirring in our hearts and, and, and provoking things. It's a good provoke and it's a good examination. I want to read something to you um, just in case you sang it and, and you didn't. How many times have you sang something and in singing it, you don't even notice the words that you're singing. It. You just, oh, shoot, I just I started singing. I don't even know what I sang. What did I sing? What did we sing today? Um, we sang a song, Run to the Father. And, and just listen to these lyrics. I think it goes perfect with what we've been speaking about here throughout this month. Um, it says, I run to the Father, I fall into grace. I run to the Father, and I fall into grace. What, what a beautiful thing that running to the Father is you falling into grace. Think about that. Falling into the Father is falling into the grace. And then he says, in the lyrics, this is, I think, Cody Barnes, right? Cody Barnes sings this. And he says, I'm done with the hiding. No reason to wait. I I like that because he first ran to the Father. He found grace. And in running to the Father and finding grace, he recognizes there's nothing more to hide. I'm done with hiding. Why would someone say that? Because in the embrace with the Father and in the grace, not only was everything exposed within this man, but the Father had covered it all. His grace has, has put a blanket over it all. So in the embrace of the Father, he says, there's nothing more that I should hide. Because I've ran to the Father and because there I find grace, this is the place where I'm done with hiding and there is no more reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon. For weeks we've been talking about God, our Father being the surgeon, precisely causing surgery in our, in our lives. And he says, my soul needs a friend. And here he goes, so I run to the Father again and again and again and again. Oh, oh, oh. We sing oh, oh, but I look at it as oh, oh, oh. I run, and this is what I found. Amen? What, what, a, beautiful, what a beautiful lyrics that is and so true, so biblical. And I think, um, I, I hope that, that that strengthened you today. Hallelujah. We've been speaking here in childlike search. I want to get into this because I want to wrap this stuff up. Hopefully we'll see. And we said these questions, we've continued to ask questions to really provoke thinking. And we said, have you allowed the Lord to examine? Or what Cody Barnes in his lyrics says, commit surgery. Perform surgery. Examine, perform surgery in your heart during this time. What is it? Seven, six months. Six months of surgery. It has been for some of us. Six months of surgery. Some of you have lost friends because of it. Some of you have gotten into fights with family members. Some of you have cried in your bed anxious. Some of you have thought some crazy thoughts. Maybe I should just end this all. I mean, think about what the last six months, what God has performed in your heart. Am I speaking to anyone here? Think about what it's done to your marriage. Some of you, well, I won't say what some of you almost did, but Some of you are saying, if my marriage survived the last six months, we could survive anything. 
Some of you have fallen more in love. Some of you have finally spent more time with family. Some of you have laughed with your children more. Huh? Some of you have loved more, cared more, served more in these last six months. Think about what surgery has looked like and what it's brought forth in your life today. In the last six months, how many of you have really learned a lot about yourself? Praise God. What a shame it would have been if you were like, I didn't learn anything. <laughs> but you've learned a lot. Have you allowed the Lord to examine <clears throat> your heart during this time? It's the place where, where he truly takes lordship, I said. Not just that he's God, not just that he's Savior. That's good. Listen to me. This world needs its Savior. But Savior and Lord are two different, two different relationships in your life. It may start with Savior, but it should continue with Lordship. Amen? Where he becomes Lord and examines you in that Lordship and he takes you through the process and we trust. Because at the end of it all, he does have full Lordship. He does sit on the throne of my heart. Hallelujah. We read David's words in Psalm 139. Let's go ahead and read it again and again and again. I mean, it's Cody Barnes' fault. And again and again. Oh, how many times are we going to read this passage? Again. In Psalm 139, King David writes this. You should have it memorized already for so many weeks that we've gone over this. He says, Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart. And you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. That was good in week one when we got into that. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. <clears throat> you know everything that I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? Don't even say it. We, we feel like we may think what others are thinking or what others are going to say, but he knows what we're going to say way before we even say it. You go before me, you follow me. Who can actually go before you and follow you all at the same time? I could either go before you or I could follow you when I walk around the neighborhood with my family. I most of the times just follow them. And they just go before me and I stand in the back as the father with its dog. Just watching the family go. But it's hard as a father on earth to go before my family and after my family and following my family. But what an amazing relationship we have with the Lord that he goes before and he follows me. He goes before me and he follows me. He's got my front, he's got my back. He's covering me in all places. You place your hand of blessing on my head. And he says in verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I would say so. You see, David didn't just say this because he knew the words of the prophets. David was saying this because he knew the person of God. Did you guys understand that? Yeah. He did not just know the words of the prophets. He knew the person of God. And because of his experiences and encounters, he says, he goes before me and he follows me. And, and what does he say? What's too wonderful? <laughs> Such knowledge is too wonderful. for me. I don't understand the mind of God. It's just too wonderful for me. Too great for me to understand, he says in verse 6. Verse 7, I can never, because I've come to the place where I'm at today, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. Have you been there? Have you tried to run from God and wherever you've ran, you found God there? I will admit that that's been me. I've ran from God and thinking I was going to get away from God, there has been a hook that I met him there and he drew me right back. To bring me to a place to recognize I can never escape from your spirit. Think about all the things, all the failures, all the, all the mistakes, all the bad decisions that King David made because they were many. And in all of those, as he tried to run away from the things of God, he continued to find himself. His presence is still there for me. I can never escape him. I can never get away from it. And David was a transformed man. 
David, David, but, but it, it wasn't always like that. When David took his kingship, trust me, the David at the end of his life was not the David at the beginning of his kingship. He went through a lot. He encountered a lot. He, he made a lot of mistakes and, and he went through a process. He, he went through wars and, and, and he went through, through running from his sons trying, his sons trying to kill him and, 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 and people close to him trying to stab him on his back, not just with words, oh, my friend stabbed me in the back. I mean, literally stabbing him in his back to kill him. And David went through all the things that you could think of and he's come to the place where he says, I can't escape. He's come to a place where he sees the relationship he has with the Father. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart. We said that the word examined there means to investigate. Um, it's the word of a surgeon to find out. It's a penetrating work that God does, that the Holy Spirit does. It is a penetrating examination. It's a penetrating search that reveals within you what's really there and I ask you this question and I would love to open up the mic to some of you and I ask you how has it gone for you how has the examination gone I hope some of you are ready to give testimony of that because I feel like the last message of this is a good day to give testimony of that amen so the Lord begins to penetrate, like I said, deep areas within, searching, bringing to light things found. And you see what's really there. Things that are hidden. Remember I said this, things that are hidden from you, but you'll come to recognize that they are never hidden from Him. That's why Cody Barnes writes, what? I can't hide. I'm done with hiding. Because as much as I try to hide, everything is, everything is exposed before Him. And this makes you now come to a place to deal with it, to face it, to figure out what you're really going to do. It's the place in which we've learned, in which we've spoken about, where choices, where decisions need to be made. It's the place where a good father, how many of you have, we've drilled that in, your, in our minds already, a good father will lead his children to, a good father will lead his children to that surgery table. And like, why would a good father want to put me on the table for surgery to remove whatever needs to be removed he's good the cut may hurt the stitch may hurt the healing process will take some time but if the junk comes out of you man what a revelation of what a good father he is he was willing to take me through that process to take out what i should have never allowed to grow inside of me it's the place where a good father leads us have you ever been led there you felt the cutting, you felt the opening, and you felt the ripping out, then you felt the closing, you felt the stitching, and you've gone through the healing, and you've come out of it all with scars to testify. These scars are to tell the world that he is good. We look at scars as negative things. The Bible looks at scars as good things. Whether you're limping, whether you're broken, whatever it is, broken, contract, all those things are used in the presence of God, are used in the Father's hands. And they testify that he's a good father. Amen? It's where he grows us. It's where he matures us. It's where he transforms us. And David could relate to this. To the reckless son in Luke 15. To the lost, to the prodigal, in ways that others see this son. Because he too was once for a time that reckless, David. You don't think he was reckless? Sending Bathsheba's husband to war. One day taking a shower outside. He looks outside of his palace and he sees her naked. He says, mm, I want to bring her into my bed. He was reckless. Then the plotting of doing what he was going to do to her husband. He was a reckless man who needed a lot of growing up. He was reckless. And he needed to get to the place where he writes Psalm 139, a place where childishness had to be revealed. And he humbled and he accepted that he needed to be under his father's presence, under his father's authority. He needed to enter into what? Childlike identity. Amen. Just like Luke 15, never lost his sonship. I love that, G that Jesus. Him too, obviously. But, but David, in all of it, never lost his sonship. Never lost his sonship, whether it was adultery, whether it was murder. I mean, the evil plotting that he did, he never lost his sonship. May the gospel speak heavy to you when I say that. 
May the gospel and the power of the gospel speak heavy to you. When I say that David, in the midst of all of his crimes, war crimes even, crimes that he committed, never lost sonship. Because deep within, he was a man that continued to search the heart of God, the heart of the father. And the father knew uh, he needed to deal with the son's immaturity. Amen? May May the power of the gospel really reveal that to you. I mean... So many times the gospel is driven in such a way to us that it immediately brings forth condemnation. But when you study the gospel, when you study the whole word of God in its proper text, you recognize it didn't come to condemn. It came to really liberate me and free me. Yes, to humble me, but to free me. Amen? And I hope that it does that. That it does just that. It frees you. I said that I wanted to kind of get into it a little bit and today I'll revisit it again Because maybe if it's for one person, then it's well worth it. This is the place where you're not supposed to feel like you're a hypocrite if you're in Christ. If you're in Christ, you should not feel like you're a hypocrite. What is a hypocrite? This is funny to say this today because no pun intended and I'm not speaking to any of you. I just took mine off. But a hypocrite is someone who's wearing a mask. I heard, one, I heard one preacher say, God is doing us a favor. He's causing us all to wear masks in church. He says, because for so long, many of us have already worn masks in church, so now we're all wearing masks. <laughs> I won't say that, but another preacher said that, okay? All this time, we've been wearing masks to church, and finally, we all have to wear them. Okay. But the reality is a hypocrite, it comes from that word. It's like the Shakespearean actor. We've studied that here where he, one actor plays many roles and they have to all wear different masks to play into that role. That is what a hypocrite is. It is a person who wears different masks to play certain roles. That they're not just that one person. There are many other people according to the environment around them. That's a hypocrite. It's a person who wears masks according to the climate around them. Uh, if you're in Christ, I'm sure many of you are past that. So we're not hypocrites, an individual who wears a mask. That's the person who knows that they are wrong, but they pretend to be fine and they go on as all is well. They just go on like all is well and they pretend to be fine, but deep down inside they know they're in the wrong, they know they have wrong, and it never gets dealt with. That's hypocrisy. All right? So what is this? It's, it's a freedom as we've get, we wrap this up today to not be so hard on myself, on yourself, on ourselves, And man, I'm just such a hypocrite. Well, if you are falling into that, then you have to deal with that. But for those who are not, that maybe you're condemning yourself for no reason, it's the reminder that God calls you child. And you should probably write that down in your notes. He reminds me that I am child. And today, he still calls me child. And more important than anything, I am his child. I am the child of my father and I am the child of my mother and I am child of my grandparents as the tree goes down or up, however you want to look at it. But at the end of it all, supernaturally, I'm grafted in. I am a child of the creator of all creation. I am a child of God. That is the most important position I have. I am a child of God. That is the, most, that is the greatest position that you have, that you are a child and you are his child. He's not removing us or removing you from sonship. He is what? Dealing with you. He is working in your immaturity, in my immaturity. Come on. Many of you for six months have felt the surgeon's hands. And as you felt the surgeon's hands, he's opened up and he's op- this open womb. And all wound and all it has been for is to deal with immaturity in your life. Things that were not grown up yet that are caused to grow up. And, and, and that's a beautiful thing. What, what is maturity? I wrote this down. Maturity is obedience to the Father because it pleases Him. That's maturity. I, I'm obedient to the Father because this is what pleases my Father. I'm obedient to Him. Immaturity is obedience to the Father because I don't want wrath or punishment or hell. That's, that's, that's immaturity. The person that is obedient to the Father because he feels or she feels like if I'm not obedient, then I'm going to get some sort of like... Bad thing happened to me. No, you've lost the whole identity issue. You really lost the father's heart. And you've lost the transformation that happens in the child. We don't serve the father so that we don't receive something bad. We serve and are obedient to the father because it pleases his heart. And our objective in life is to make dad happy. 
That's maturity. Maturity is I live in obedience. Why? Because my pastor kind of went through this series and I think that's what I should do or because I'm a member of that church or because I'm a leader or because I'm a parent now or because I... Whatever you think that the reason why you should be mature, um, all of it is wrong if it's not obedient because it pleases the Father. And that's important. He's doing this work and we're responsible to make the right choice, to make right decisions that produces the heart in us. Listen to that. The heart in us that lives to please Father. And that's the sign of, matru- of maturity, of true maturity. I'll say it again. He's doing this work and we are responsible to make right decisions that produces the heart in us that lives to please Father. And that's the sign of maturity. That's the sign of maturity. I don't know if I shared this in week one, but I'm going to read it. It's where wonder, where wonder, you know a child's wonder? Where wonder would explode within. Where awe and reverence and tenderness would chip off all the tough and rugged places in the heart. Where the disobedience and self-entitlement would be buried. Disobedience and self-entitlement would be buried so that service and gratitude would be made more alive. That's maturity. Maybe I should just define it in one sentence. Here it is. You should write this down. Here's maturity in one sentence. Where the desire is to please rather than to be pleased. Where the desire is to please rather than to be pleased. How do you live your life today? Do you live your life constantly looking to be pleased? Constantly looking to be patted on your back? Constantly looking to be known, recognized? Or do you just live your life in freedom? In freedom just to please. There's a difference in those two things. Amen? As I said earlier, in both weeks, and I'll say multiple times today as we close with this, the plowing in our lives, the plowing in these last few months, the plowing that happened yesterday, the plowing that's going to happen next week, next year, is to remove desire in any of us to be in control. Remember that? And to be entirely driven. In other words, entirely controlled by the leading of our Father. So David continues in Psalm 139. We started off reading verses 1 through 7. And then he goes on in verse 8. Let's just read it. Psalm 139. He says, okay, just so in case you forgot, in verse 7 he ended up with, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. Remember, that's how he ended in verse 7. And he continues with this thought. And in verse 8 he says, if I go up to heaven, you're there. But if I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest ocean, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. Darkness is is where most crimes happen. Darkness is where most things that are wrong happen. Why? Because in the dark, we we could hide from the light. We could hide from being exposed. And darkness has the ability to do that. And that's why David says what he says. Even, Even he says, I could ask the darkness to hide me, but the light around me, look at that, and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I can't hide from you. We've learned this already because in the New Testament, we've learned that what? When light shines, darkness cannot comprehend it. Darkness flees in the face of light. So as much as David wants to hide himself in night, when the light is there, all darkness has to flee. So he recognizes, as dark as I can make the room to do my evil acts, as dark as I can make it, if your light is there, I'm always, I'm always exposed. I can never be hidden. What a beautiful turmoil that God does with his children. That's why he exposes things. You say, oh, why does he expose things in my family? Why is he exposing things in my life? Why is he bringing things? Because he loves. Because he's light. Because he's right. Because he's good. And there has to be a line where wrong, where evil is done with. And God says, let my light bring to the open what's really there. Or what's really happened. Or what you're really doing. It's not to cause us to turn away from him. It's causing us to run to him. 
That's what the light does. Amen? Now, you could tell a lot from people when that stuff is exposed. Where are they running? Are they running away? Or when that stuff comes out, are they running too? And that right there, highlight it, circle it, it shows you the depth of that individual. Shows you what's really happening within. What is God doing in us, with us? Amen? All right, let's keep going. He says, I'll ride the wings of the morning. If I dwell to the farthest oceans, even there your hands will guide me. Your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness. We read that, verse 12. Even in the darkness, I cannot hide from you. And the night shines as bright as day. The night, <laughs> I, love, I love David's writing. And it's a revelation that he gets in the presence of God. In the night, in the, everyone say in the night. Yeah, in the night. Think about that. To you, in the night, shines as bright as day. That's crazy. Darkness and light are the same to you. Why are darkness and light the same to him? Because where he's at, there's always light. So whether he's confronted with darkness, I love when Jesus goes up to the mountain and, and, and the accuser takes him up there and, and he's up there and he's saying, hey, look, all this world is yours. All these kingdoms are yours. If you just, he's in the midst of darkness for 40 days with the enemy. Being, being tempted in the wilderness and, and the enemy saying, if you just bow down and worship me, if you just do this, I'll give you the kingdoms. If you, and, and he's in the midst of darkness and anguish and, and all of it is the same to him. What does he do? He comes with the word of God. Why does Jesus leave there victorious? Because dark and night are the same to him. Dark and night are the same to him. So good. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. That's so beautiful. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Guys, I can't even sit here and start talking about this because that is too wonderful for me to understand. How precious are your thoughts about me? I love all that. All of these crazy things that man can't put an answer to. No scientist, no doctor could, could, could describe verses 14 and 15 and 16. It's impossible, verses 13 through 16, for man to really define it. And yet all of this, he says, how precious in all of that complexity which is God. How precious are your thoughts about me? Come on, sons and daughter. How precious are the thoughts of the Father? Father, towards you. About me. If you leave here saying, I don't like this preaching because you made it about us. He, the Father's heart is about you. What do you mean? We can't just take ourselves out of this stuff. We are his greatest creation on earth. These people that are like, no, you know, you preach too much about us. We're part of this deal. We're part of this relationship. We're part of this commitment. I'm part of reigning in high places with Jesus Christ. Uh, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, I am his son and he has thoughts about me. He has thoughts about me. And when I read this psalm from a man who committed many evil and wicked things, his thoughts are good towards David. Shoot! His thoughts are good towards you, towards me. His thoughts are good. Isn't that a beautiful thing to rest in today? Man, his thoughts are good about me. You walked in here probably like, I stink, man, man. I'm worthless, man. I, I failed, man. But right now, I, we paused you in your tracks and we said, but his thoughts about you are saying totally the opposite. They're actually precious. They're precious thoughts about you. But I just did this yesterday. I know, but today, his thoughts are precious about you. Amen. Come on, be set free in that. His thoughts about us are precious. They cannot be numbered. You know what that means, they cannot be numbered? There are many thoughts, many precious thoughts about us that cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. He says, I'm not saying this, I'm reading from David's writing. They outnumber the grains of sand. I love this. And when I wake up, you're still with me. How many of you could say amen to this passage? I feel like it's preaching for itself in a sense, you know? 
So he ends the passage and he says, what? Search me, O God. I just did. You just wrote everything you wrote because I searched you. What do you mean, search me? I, you, I, I just took you through the process all these years. But look what he says. Search me. It's almost like what? What, what is he really saying? Come on, Cody Barnes, get it out of you. He's saying what to the Father? Again and again. Oh, oh. He's saying to the Father, again and again. He started with, you have searched me. And he ends with this revelation of the Father's heart. And he says what? Again. Search me again. Search me again. Search me again. He was a man after the Father's heart. Search me again. And know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. We're going to go to anxiety today for a moment. Anxiousness, worry. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. Again and again. Search me. How many of you can say amen? So good. If we reflect on this, on this passage, we would invite God to continue the work of searching like he did. To know our hearts. This is what we're talking about. The penetrating examination. The penetrating search. This will expose the grievous ways in which we take. Or this will expose maybe the things in us that affect us. Our character and how it's been affected by grief or by pain or by hurt. And it leads us, the faithful, the sons, the daughters, into what David calls a way which is everlasting. A way that God loves you searched me, and you've known me. You searched me, and you've known me. David prays to the, to the Lord. You searched me, and you know me. Understand. He's understanding. Man, you have personal. Uh, everyone look at this word. Ready? He has personal knowledge. Personal knowledge of him. You have personal knowledge. See, this is interesting because when David writes this, he understands the community around him. And the community around him is this, pagans who, who would worship in, in pagan worship or whatnot, these pagans, they thought that their gods, they thought their gods were hostile and indifferent to men and to women. And, and, and David comes with a whole different message than all these false pagan worshipers. He comes with a whole different word. And David knew that the true God cared enough to have searched and known every man and every woman. What am I trying to say? I'll say it in these three things. Ready? It's not just that God knows everything because he does. Everyone, everyone agree with that? God knows everything and he does. God knows everything. You should say that. God knows everything. That's right. And that's true. It's not just that God knows everything. But listen to this. He knows me. He knows me. Number two. It's not just that God is everywhere. Say that. God is everywhere. Amen. He is. It's not just that God is everywhere. Amen. But watch this. It's this. He is everywhere with me. The God which is everywhere is everywhere with me. The God that knows everything knows me. If not, the Bible is a lie. When we stand before the presence of God in his throne on that great day, and he says, I know you. I know everything. I've always been with you. What a beautiful moment that is. Whether he calls you good and faithful servant, whether he calls you something, whatever it is, but I know you. I've been with you. You've been with me. Come in. That's a, that's a, that's a special day. It's not just that he knows everything. He knows me. It's not just that he's everywhere. He's everywhere with, everywhere with me. Number three, it's not just that God created everything. Amen. That's true. God created everything. Say God created everything. He did. But check this out. He created me. He created me. I'm going to say those three things again. He knows me. Say, he knows me. He is everywhere with me. He created me. What, what's happening with David here? What's happening with you here? It's having the right perspective of the Father. It's having the right perspective. The pagans will say, our gods are hostile. So we live what? We live in fear of our God. Where David says, my God is good. I live in fear of God. I live in the fear. While you fear your Lord, I live in the fear of the Lord. That is the revelation that David had. 
The pagans around him were shake because their gods were hostile. And they should have because what they were really worshiping was the rulers of this world with demonic powers that be. But at the end of it, David said, no, nah, my God's good. We're, man, that's powerful. Where man feared their God and where we live in the fear of God. Those are two different aspects of life. And that's where David was driven to. And that's why he writes the words that he writes. I'm wondering if you Fear for God, or if you are in the fear of the Lord. Where it becomes reverence and awe. Where it becomes holiness, goodness, and godliness. Or it becomes, I will be obedient, because the last thing I want is hell. That's living fear of God. But in the fear of the Lord, says, I'm living in obedience because I love him. Immaturity, disobedience, I'm living in obedience because I don't want hell. We're past. Listen, if you've been in Christ for a while, hopefully today's the day, and you're still living in the fear of hell, man, we should have been done with hell a long time ago because I'm telling you right now, hell was not created for you. So you're set free. You're delivered from the concept of hell. I'm not saying necessarily that there's not a hell. I'm not saying that. Don't grab that and twist and say, oh, wait, pastor says that there's not a hell. No, 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 I'm not saying that. I'm just telling you that hell is not for you if you live in the fear of the Lord. That's what, before I knew Christ, that was my prayer and my thought. I need Jesus because I don't want to go to hell. But when I came to know Jesus personally, I need Jesus because I just want to reign with him. I just love him. Your, Your mind changes. And really, what Christian is still tormented with hell? Maybe they're tormented with the hell that others would receive, but not for themselves. Because they know who they are already. Amen? Man, I could just stay on that. Be free in that. It's having the right perspective of the Father. He knows me. He is everywhere with me. He created me. I'm not describing, again, a self-centered gospel or making the word or the Lord all about myself. I'm not doing that. I'm just trying to show you that he's a good father and has always had us in mind. He's always had you in mind. After all, what are we? We are his creation. We are his children. That's what we are. He tells the people who are held captive in Jeremiah and who are held in exile in Babylon. Many people know this verse by memory. And as his people are in exile in Babylon under a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, through the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord says this. What does he tell them? Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you. This is what he tells the exiled people. This is what he tells those who are held captive by Babylon. I know the plans. Can you imagine being in slavery in Babylon? Can you imagine being stripped from your house, from your family, from the fields that you worked hard in and and that are your fields, and you were stripped from that and you were taken to another country? And now you're there as, as, as a least among men, and then the word of the Lord comes to you while you're living in that moment and says, for I know the plans I have for you. Well... What happened over there? What happened to the plans over there? Because this is not looking good. What happened when I was at home? And the Lord says, for I know the plans. Imagine the Israelites. Imagine the Jewish people, what they felt. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Not me, Jeremiah. Jeremiah's like, this is not me, guys. Just in case, I don't want you to get mad at me. Declares the Lord. (laughs) He made sure he said, this is the Lord. Declares the Lord. I know the plans I have for you. But what are they? What are the plans then? Tell us. Are are we going back home? He said, I don't know what they are. But the Lord said, they're plans of welfare. They're plans of, maybe your translation says peace. Plans of peace. What else? Well, it's not of evil. Well, I'm definitely here in a place of evil where they're worshiping other gods that are not our God. And they're treating us, man, not... Like humans, this is not a good place. He says, well, the Lord says it's a plan not of evil, but it's instead to give you a future and to give you hope. (laughs) The New King James, yes, it says a plan of peace. The ESV says plans of welfare. The word welfare or peace, when you really break it down into its Hebrew form, it is the word that we are all very familiar with. It's the what? It is the plan of shalom. It's the Hebrew word shalom, shalom. And when he says, for I know the plans I have for you, you," declares the Lord, there are plans of shalom. And the Jewish person knew exactly what that meant when he said shalom. Because that word comes to mean various things according to the context it's used. 
It's in, and they recognize that when the prophet said that, when the Lord spoke that to them, it means he has declared plans of welfare, plans of prosperity, plans of peace, plans of health. It's, it's a form of completeness, of soundness. When we went to Israel, we've been there twice, and we've gone there, we see that when it gets close to um, Shabbat, right, the, the Sabbath day, they say what? They say a phrase like Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, and it's a peaceful Sabbath. May you have a peaceful Sabbath, a restful Sabbath, a prosperous Sabbath, etc. It is a phrase, Shalom could be high, Shalom could be peace with you, Shalom could be great wealth unto you. Shalom can be many things, but it's always from a positive context in whichever way it's used. It's never used negatively. And when the Lord speaks to the heart, he says, I have plans of shalom over you. They're plans of great wealth, prosperity, and peace. He's like, well, we're definitely not feeling that. I love how one commentary puts it. He says, God's plan for the exiles is welfare. Shalom, not evil. Shalom. Everyone say shalom. Yeah, shalom, shabbat shalom. It's not today. Shabbat shalom is not today, but shalom. Not evil, not calamity. He, having stopped Babylon's shalom, here the Jewish people are, the exiles will now receive God's shalom in the form of a future and a hope in their homeland. I know you've been stripped from your home, but trust me, I'm preparing it. Man, there will be a generation that will come charging through the gates and they will come back home. I'm wondering if any of you know that there is a principle there that is more about the home of land and he's telling you today, shalom, because the gates are going to open and you will walk back home come on I know the land is not healthy but I have plans for you shalom you're going home soon you're going home you're going home you're going home when those gates open you run we're going home when you hear the trumpets meet me there you know you know where to go I just saw a movie this weekend one of the actors told the told the younger uh, apprentice, right? Someone that she was mentoring. She says, wait for the sign. And the girl didn't know what she meant. She said, well, what's the sign? She's like, and then the, someone that's been involved in that for a while looks at it and goes, you'll know the sign when you see it. And the Lord looks at us and says, wait for the sign. Like, well, what's the sign? So many false prophets have risen up and says, we're living in the time. Look at the signs. And many people have come up and says, I've had this vision. Hear the signs. And many, because there's some sort of signs happening. And there's many signs and many things that are going to happen. But it's almost like the Lord looks at us and says, but you'll know which one it is. There will be many signs. But when it happens, you'll know. <laughs> it's so good. So that trumpet blows or those winds flap or whatever it is that is heard in the majesty of heaven. Whatever it is and the whole earth shakes. We're all going to look at each other and we're going to be like, oh, this is the sign. <laughs> this is it. Let's go. Which way should I do it? <laughs> I don't know. But this is the sign. Shalom. We're his children. Come on, we're his children, amen? Just having a good time messing around, but we're his children. So what do we do because we're his children? Let's seek the Father's heart to know it more. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 29 through 31, the New Living says it this way. He says, what is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? That was the price, right? In his time, he says, but not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are unnumbered. So don't be afraid. You're more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Come on, man. That's, that stuff should breathe life into your lungs. Oh, I was trying to hear who was calling. Is that the sign? That might be it. That might be it. I'm just playing. All right, here we go. All right. Ephesians 2.10 says this. (laughs) Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship. Amen. We are his workmanship. Poema. We are his poema. We are his workmanship. That word means we're his poem. We're that thing which was made by his own hands. What does that mean? We are his creation. We are what? I love how one way to define that in its proper text is we are his product. 
We are created in Christ for what? Good works, not bad works, not evil works. Good works. Come on, good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I don't know what God's called me to do. Good works. Well, I don't know which path I should take. Good works. Take the good works path. Take the good works action. Uh, you know, good works. That's what you're called to do. From when? From the beginning of time. You were created to do what? Good works. Until what? Until you hear the sign. Just to get the sign. Just good works. This is what David is saying in this passage in Psalm 139. He says in verse 16 and 17, and I'll repeat it again. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. You looked and your book, they are all written. The days fashioned for me, and yet there were none of them. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. Such knowledge is too wonderful. He understood that God knew him better than himself, than he knew himself. Wonderful and a humble place to be. And we sometimes reject what God says and what God's words say about us, about our condition. And we should recognize that he knows us better than we know ourselves. And he has good things planned for us. We are his children. Amen? The land may be shaken, but the fruit that remains on the tree, there's good things prepared for you. He has you in mind. Say that. He has me in mind. He has a plan for me. Childlike search. I'm going to ask the worship team to start getting settled. Childlike search. Say childlike search. The plowing is to remove anything in us so that we would no longer be in control. The plowing is so that he would be in total control and totally lead. Amen? So I want to encourage all of you that he has a plan for you. Listen to this. He has thoughts for you. You're living it out. Listen, because this is so important. Because though you're living out his thoughts and plans for you, you could all be in a different place. Don't think just because someone else is in that place and I'm in this place, you're both living in two different... No, no. You both still may be in the plans of God. They're just two different paths right now that all lead to the same place. What do, what do you mean by that? His plans and thoughts for you, you're living them out. Listen to this. Whether it's being delayed because of your choice selection. Maybe that's why. But you're living it out. Whether you're in a fire, which is actually meant to refine you, you're living it out. Or whether you're experiencing the joys of finding the promised land deep within. Wherever you're at, you're, how come they're in the promised land and I'm in the furnace? You're living it out. He's doing his perfect plan and purpose in you. What is, what's happening with each person, surgery looks different. Surgery looks different in every single person's heart. That person needed one in the gut. That one needed one in the leg. But each person needed something different. He's a good father with such great knowledge. And David puts it, which all of this is just way, way, way too wonderful for us. Amen. But this happens. We easily fall to our frail selves. How many of you are guilty of falling to yourself? I do. And we begin to worry. We worry about most things that are out of our control. And our worrying as his children reveal in us as well. It reveals our view of him. When you worry and you live consumed in worry, it also reveals your view of God. When I'm living in anxiety and worry, God is saying, you're not viewing me. You're not viewing me right. In Matthew 6, right before Jesus begins to speak about not worrying and being anxious, he comes from talking about keeping your eye healthy. He's about to talk about worrying, but before I talk about worrying, I got to talk about your eyes. Keep your eyes healthy. In Matthew 6, he speaks about it is a lamp providing light to the whole body. There's that word light again. If you keep your light eyes healthy, there's going to be light in your whole body. And if your eye is unhealthy, it's going to bring darkness to your whole body. And then he goes into something, something right off of that. He says, and be careful not to serve two masters. You read that context, and you're like, man, is he making like different turns? But he's going to bring it all together. He says, take care of your eyes because that's going to determine whether there is light or there is darkness in you. And as you do that, be careful to serve two masters. Don't do it. 
because I can't be shared. You're going to love one or be devoted to one more than the other. And all of this stuff, he's saying it in this context in Matthew 6. But then he transitioned into something very unique in verse 25. And he says what? After talking about the I, after talking about only serving one God, one master, he says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food? Isn't your body more than clothing? What is he really saying? Because Matthew 6 was about a bunch of other stuff. He was like tossing coins up. What are you going to talk about today? Heads or tails? It's like, it, felt, it feels like there's a lot of stuff going on. But I think that there's one message coming across here. And he's telling us something with these passages, with these teachings. And I think he's reminding us of something very special. And I would even say he's probably warning us to make the right choices. Choose what is right. I said good works. Aim to make the right choices. Because our worrying comes from not thinking right and making choices on the wrong thoughts. When I am consumed with worry, I'm telling you right now, and I'm going to confess this to you, I'm not thinking right. I'm not thinking right. When I'm consumed with worry, I'm not thinking right. And I make choices on those wrong thoughts, which bring me down to a downward spiral. Come on, I wonder if anyone here could admit that with me. The I... As we've learned, it's similar to the heart. It's a lamp that reveals the quality of a person's life, inner life. And a healthy eye is clear vision. It means royal devotion to God, while a bad eye, impaired vision, indicates there's moral corruption within. So what does he tell us in verse 25? Therefore, do not be anxious. Make the right choices. There's no reason for any of us to be anxious. My God, am I preaching to the choir here. In no form or way am I wearing a mask today in hypocrisy. I'm freed from that. I'm telling you, I'm preaching to the choir. And Jesus is giving us two how much more examples. How much more? How much more? How much more? Look at the birds. How much more? Consider the lilies on the field. He gives you an example of birds and an example of the flowers on the field to show that since God cares even for the birds and the lilies, how much more will he care for you, his own, his child? To be anxious demonstrates a lack of trust in God who promises that he will graciously care for all these things. He wants us children to trust in him. He wants us to lean on him, childlike search, to reveal what's happening, to lean on him. He wants us to know that he has great care for us. I heard Craig Groeschel go off and he said this. He said, anxiety is a signal alerting you that it's time to pray. Anxiety is a signal alerting you that it's time to pray. In other words, it is, being, it is big enough to worry about. It is big enough to pray about. If it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. I like that phrase. So what does Jesus go on to say? I'm just going to flow through it. He says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. And I'm closing with this. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. Look at the birds. Look at the birds. If you need to take a walk around your neighborhood tomorrow, take a whenever you feel anxious or stressed out or worry, just walk around. Put your walking shoes and walk around the neighborhood and just start looking up and look at the birds. And you tell me if those birds have a worry in the world. They're just flapping. They're just hanging on a wire. They're just looking for the next worm. There's not a worry. He says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in the barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than those birds? Are you? Can all your worries add a single moment of your life? Why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies on the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Jesus' words. Yet Solomon in all of his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as those lilies on the field. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Don't worry about these things. He says, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. You know how worried I've been about the future of my children? Oh my God, the world, the world that my kids are going to live in, the world that my kids are going to live in, the world, oh my God, the world that my kids are going to live in, the world that's going to, and God's like, shut up, I carry your kids. I'm like, the, 
I should have never had kids. I should have never had kids. I should have never had kids. I should have just been me and Nancy. I shouldn't have had kids because look at the world. And some parents, they, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I should have just, uh, this is getting crazy. This is getting dangerous. This is getting worrisome. It's gonna, it's gonna, and the Lord says, what are you worrying about? What are you, that stuff is causing you to lose sleep. The worries of this world. Don't worry about these things. What you're going to eat? Oh my gosh. What's going to happen with my mortgage? What's going to happen? Am I going to have enough money next week? Am I going to have enough money next month? Oh my gosh. Should I take my kid to the private school? Because I don't know if we're going to be able to pay for it. And what are we going to do? Why are you worried so much about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, and what you're going to drink, Regal? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but you're a believer. Your heavenly father knows all your needs. On children, I'm talking to you, childlike search, so you could rise up and be the remnant of this land like never before. Your father knows what you really need. So what does he say? He says, so this is what you do. Come on, this is what you do. This is what you do. Maybe you should stand with me when I read this. Because maybe this is the call for us. Verse 33, he says, you seek the kingdom of God above all else. You live righteously. How do I live? Good works. You live righteously. Holy, set apart. You are the kingdom of heaven on earth. You are God's ambassadors to this world. You are sons of a king. Look at your fingers. And if you need to go to the 25 cent machine and get one of those fake rings, put a ring on your finger and say, I have a ring of royalty on you got the money, go to a real shop and get a nice ring if you want. And say, I got the ring and have a little ceremony with God. I am your son. Get a robe on. Put some sandals on. Walk around your neighborhood. I mean, you're going to, they oh, this guy's lost it. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So what does he say next? So don't worry. Look at the person next to you. Don't worry. So don't worry. I need all of you to help me. I need all of you to help me. Please look at me and tell me, so don't worry. So don't worry. No, I need you to convince me like, like I walk out here and I could go home to my wife and I say, 50 people today looked at me in the eyes and they said, Pastor, so don't worry. So don't worry. Look at your brethren. Look at your sisters. Look at your family members. And when you see them out, you say, come on, don't worry. Come on, don't worry. So don't worry. Hey, so don't worry. Why? Why should I not worry? Because he knows everything you need. We need each other to tell each other. So don't worry. So don't worry. So don't worry. I see you in the back. So don't worry. I see you in the front. So don't worry. Don't worry. He knows everything we need. Look what he says. Tomorrow's going to bring its own worries. How did six months ago start? I mean, it started like this. Then it became about this. Then it became, I mean, what's going to happen next? I don't know. Don't worry. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Tomorrow will bring its own worries. But today, today's trouble is enough for today. So don't worry. You're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. Paul says in Romans 8.32, the book of Romans is a stamp in Scripture. He says in the, in the Bible, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? <sighs> Can I read it the way Eugene Peterson translates it? Look at this. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? So don't worry. So don't worry. Come on, he's doing a great work. He's doing a great work. He's always done a great work. Do you know when the flood covered the earth? He was doing a great work. Do you know when the earth opened up in a big earthquake and swallowed like 170,000 people? He was doing a good work. Do you know that there's fires in California today? 
I'm telling you today that he's doing a work. Nation against nation today, he's doing a work. We don't need to go to nations. We go neighbor against neighbor. Within this group right here, some of us are very careful what we talk about and what we don't talk about. That's the world we're living in today. But don't worry. Because this world, in the end of it all, we're called to be faithful in it, good stewards of it. But this is not our kingdom. We're not citizens here. My passport may say it. My license may give an address. But really, I have a different passport. My, my citizenship is in heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. So don't worry. He's doing a great work. He always has. He always does. Always will. And there's a great examining happening within us. Many of us have been encouraged by this penetrating work of the Spirit. It's brought out some ugly things. But it's revealed some beautiful things. It has shown us so much, this childlike search. I hope you've enjoyed these last three weeks. And may it never end. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart. You know everything about me. Think about what David just said. So then God's reply to David is what? So don't worry. <laughs> if I've examined your heart, and I know everything about you. I have one reply back to your prayer. Don't worry then. I know everything about you. How many of you woke up yesterday and you did something like, God, I tricked God. No, you didn't. He knows everything about you. Everything. And then he ends with, search me again and again and again, oh Lord. Know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts. This is why I end with anxiety. You know why I ended with anxiety? Because David ended his passage with anxiety, with worry, with anxiousness. And that's why, why'd you jump into that? Because David did. It was his fault. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. Good works. Righteousness. Childlike search. May it continue. <sighs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Word. Lord, you're so worthy. In this room, is your creation and every single one of us we're all, we are all in different places we all have different thoughts many of us we have worries and anxieties and yet they're different worries and different anxieties according to each one and Lord there's so much that has happened so much that is happening. And I believe that there is so much still that is going to happen. But it's a reminder to every single one of us. If you care for the birds and if you care for the flowers in the field, how much more? Will you not care about us? And you've called your sons and daughters today to rise up. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. I know everything about you. I know everything you need. Lord, I pray that the, that the hand of the surgeon would go deep within. Lord, not just the last six months, but can I dare to pray for the next six months? And for the next day, for the next day, that you would search my heart, oh Lord, again and again and again. And find those things which are not pleasing to you. So that I can live in the way of righteousness. So that I could live in good works so that I could do what is pleasing <coughs> to the Father and in this process of surgery of turmoil of darkness of fires of riots of division in the midst of it all cause us to stand still not worrying not anxious not debating not fighting but that we will live knowing that 
that God is going to supply us over every need and that we would just be faithful and obedient in every good work that he has fashioned before the foundation of the earth for us to walk in. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Send me. And if anyone wants to get around, send us. And we're going forward and we're looking up. Send us. Your children keep searching again and again. Continue to do that work. Hallelujah. Lord, we love you in this place. We praise you right now in our hearts and our soul. We honor you. It's in Jesus' mighty and holy name. And together, all of us, we say yes. Yes, Lord. And amen. Yes and amen. Come on, give God the greatest praise this afternoon.